All right. Welcome to our April edition of Skull Sessions. I am your host, Eric Castiglione, owner and head coach at Viking Athletics. It's been a couple months. We took a break over February, March uh, during the Open. Our last conversation was actually about the Open, the intramural Open, and the history of the Open. And this month, we're moving on to our next big event, which is Murph, coming up on Memorial Day. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Before we get into that, drinking a Pilsner today, save your IPAs. It's a spring. It's Pilsner season. Uh, this is a Carlsbad Pilsner, which is a Danish beer. And uh, according to them, it's pretty much the greatest beer on the planet. So, Skull. So, uh, today we're talking about Murph. And specifically, I want to get into the history behind it, where it came from, why it's such a big deal in the CrossFit world, and kind of our approach at Viking Athletics tackling it. So there are a number of different schools of thought when it comes to how to tackle the workout and whether or not you should prepare for it. And uh, ultimately, it boils down to a larger question of programming, which, of course, is my favorite topic. So rather than going off the rails on multiple tangents, uh, I'm going to try to stick to the point. And since it's just me today, and I'm sure nobody wants me to talk their ear off for an hour and a half on programming, I'm going to try to limit it to hopefully under 20 minutes. And uh, in that time, we should be able to go over the history of Murph, our approach, various uh viewpoints on how to tackle it and uh we'll go from there so first of all uh murph it, for those that don't know is a workout that has largely become a crossfit holiday every memorial day uh, there's actually a memorial day murph foundation and the workout is a one mile run 100 pull-ups 200 push-ups 300 squats and another one mile run prescribed is wearing a 20 pound vest for men i think that's been uh moved down to 15 for ladies and it is one of the few crossfit workouts that allows you to partition the reps as needed which means you do not need to do all 100 reps or all 100 pull-ups unbroken before moving on to the push-ups so very common rep scheme is the cindy rep scheme which is five pull-ups 10 push-ups 15 squats and you do 20 rounds of that and that gets you through the reps uh so why is it such a big deal in the crossfit world i mean it's actually gotten bigger than the crossfit world it's uh, been featured in i'm pretty sure it was men's health or muscle and fitness or maybe both of those publications uh but the workout itself has gained widespread media attention over the years and it's bigger than just CrossFit at this point. So where does the workout come from and why is it such a big deal? Uh, the workout was created back in 2005. Uh, it is actually the third hero workout ever created by CrossFit. So CrossFit.com was launched in 2001 and CrossFit Journal was launched in 2003. And a lot of the early adopters of the CrossFit methodology were special forces operators. So Lieutenant Michael Murphy, who was a Navy SEAL, was one of the early adopters of CrossFit, big believer in it, big follower. And starting in June, late June, actually June 28th of 2005, 
uh, there was a massive loss of life of Navy SEALs in Afghanistan on Operation Red Wings. And the first two hero workouts were JT and Michael. Um, this was Michael McCreevy, not Michael Murphy. And uh, they were named for Navy SEALs that were in a helicopter that was on a rescue mission to save Michael Murphy's team. And uh, they were shot down and uh, just a massive loss of life of Navy SEALs. So those first two hero workouts were named for CrossFit enthusiasts and the rep schemes were pretty common CrossFit rep schemes at the time. 2115 nine, uh, JT is 2115 nine of handstand pushups, ring dips and pushups, um, blanking on what Michael is off the top of my head. But again, it was popular CrossFit rep schemes at the time. Since then, what a lot of hero workouts have become are just these massive tests of willpower and endurance. Uh, they're all very challenging in their own way. But the rep schemes tend to have something to do with the person who was killed or the date they died or something like that. And the workout itself is a memorial for that person. What makes Murph different is that it is Michael Murphy's own workout. It's his own creation that he called body armor. And this was a workout he did on a regular basis. He would run a mile, do 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, and with another mile run, all while wearing his body armor. So what makes it different is the fact that it's his creation. It's not created for him. Uh, he's the one that created it. And on top of that, Michael Murphy, uh, for those that don't know the story, if you go read Lone Survivor, I would highly recommend the book over the movie any day. Um, Michael Murphy was the leader of the fire squad on Operation Red Wings. It was four men. And they got into a situation where they were heavily pinned down by the Taliban. Michael Murphy could not get radio support. So in order to call in for backup, he had to wander out into the field of fire, make a cell phone call. I think it was a satellite phone, but for all intents and purposes, it might as well have been a cell phone in order to get hold of home base, um, shot multiple times, continued fighting. Um, and again, it was part of that massive loss of life, the biggest loss to date of Navy SEALs in history. Michael Murphy, for his actions, was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor, and he is the first Navy service member to earn that since the Vietnam War. So that was a tremendous deal. And the fact that he was a big practitioner of CrossFit and created this own workout, uh, that is a big reason why this workout is so important to CrossFitters. Uh, in fact, the Navy actually named a destroyer after him, the Michael Murphy. I think it's DDG-112. I'm blanking on the number. It's been a long time since I worked for the Navy, so I don't exactly recall. Anyway, when it comes to the workout itself, there are a couple of different schools of thought on how to approach it. And what triggered me earlier this month was a well-known CrossFit coach who was basically posting his annual reminder saying that you do not need to prepare for Murph and that if your training is balanced, you should be able to hop in and survive. He's not wrong. 
Um, if your training is balanced, you should be able to survive MRF. What I find amusing is that the same people that make this argument were the ones that I had to argue against back in 2020 saying that people shouldn't be doing MRF because they weren't going to be prepared. And uh, I find the lack of consistency and approach there amusing. Um, so what we get into here is, you know, CrossFit is designed to prepare people for the unknown and the unknowable. That has been kind of the core metric for general physical preparedness. You know, if I throw a random task at you, can you throw down? Can you survive? Can you do okay? The issue I take with it is it's coming on Memorial Day. We know this. It happens every year. It's no longer unknown and unknowable. The task is known. We know it's coming. We know that that's what we're going to have to do. It's also a metric crapload of volume for your average human being. You know, it was a CrossFit Games workout two years in a row, and they were expected to do other things on top of that. But keep in mind, those are professional athletes. It's literally their job. They're paid to train. For your average human being, that's not the case. Can I throw an average human being at Murph and expect them to survive? If you're a CrossFitter, sure. But you're going to be sore for the next several days, and it's probably going to ruin your training for the next week. So why waste that week of training when we know that this is coming and we can prepare, and rather than just surviving it, we can thrive and possibly even hit a personal record? Uh, you know, ultimately, it comes down to what is our long-term goal. For us at Viking Athletics, we're invested in your long-term success. If I'm going to throw something at you that's going to break you and leave you wrecked for multiple days and you miss out on training because of it, I'm doing a disservice to you, and that's a waste of your money. And that's irresponsible on my part as a coach and a programmer. So we're going to prepare you for it because we know it's coming. Now... You know, you look at the high-level athletes, uh, the world record, I'm blanking on his pronunciation of the last name. It's Alec Beater, something like that. Forgive my pronunciation. He did the workout weighted and unpartitioned in 32 minutes and 41 seconds, which is absurd. And he did that a couple weeks, I think it was three weeks after Memorial Day. So... He went into it on Memorial Day, gave it his best shot, went for a world record, and he was pretty darn close. And then when he tried to tackle it again, uh, a few weeks later, his goal was to break 32 minutes. Fell short, but still hit a world record. And you can be damn sure he had a strategy going in. In fact, his website, he actually describes what his strategy was. His mile time is absurd. His... Uh, the person that be, that originally had the world record prior to him was uh, Hunter McIntyre, who is a Spartan champion. Uh, he got some recognition in the CrossFit world a couple of years ago for crawl, uh, calling out CrossFit HQ and saying, hey, if this is truly the fittest on earth, look at my competitive record. I should earn a invitation to the games. And he did. And uh, all things considered, his training is a little bit different, and he made a last-minute pivot. He did pretty darn well. Uh, considering that. But he had the previous world record, which I think was 34 and change. 
and uh, his first mile time I want to say was around 510 or 520 so when Alec did it his goal was to finish in right around 550 try to dial that back a little bit and he had a strategy on the pull-ups I think he wanted to do like 12 then 11 and then sets of eight or nine his push-ups his goal was to do sets of five 40 sets of five every I forget whether it was 12 or 20 seconds um, but he had a strategy that he was trying to stick to and that would give him the time that he was going for so again once the task is known we can do that we can come up with strategies that play to people's strengths but we need to know what our individual strengths are and that's a lot easier when you're working one-on-one -on -one than when you're working with a massive group of people so as soon as the open is done we shift into MRF prep for a couple of reasons. Number one, those that are doing MRF as prescribed are running two miles with a 20 pound weight vest and we largely go the entirety of the winter without running. We don't have uh, air runners inside and for safety reasons we don't run outside when there's snow and ice and uh, we've had a lot of ice and obviously for those that have been to the gym lately uh, our back parking lot is an absolute mess and it's basically a swamp right now and there's constantly water that's freezing and unfreezing and we just don't want to risk it and have people run and slip on the ice so we go a couple months without running and I'm not gonna just throw two miles of weighted running at people that have not gotten back into running shape you run the risk of injury shin splints uh, knee pain all sorts of other things so we need to ease back into running um, that's a big one. Number two, for most people, we're not doing that kind of volume of training. On a, you know, we don't see 200 push-ups on a regular basis. It's a lot more than perhaps we're used to. Uh, it's just a high number of reps, and especially if you're doing it unbroken, and you don't get that rest in there, uh, you hit that failure point pretty quickly. So even though we do ramp up the volume of training as we prepare for the open. Uh, this is even higher than that for a given workout. So we want to slowly increase the total volume of work that we're doing. And most importantly, in order to establish a strategy that's going to work for you, you need to know where your failure points are. So again, uh, world record holder was doing sets of five every 12 to 20 seconds, whatever it was. And we need to know how many push-ups we can do before we hit that failure point how long we're going to need to rest you know can i get away with sets of 10 maybe depends on how else you're breaking it up uh, but we need you to have that information and you're not going to get it unless you're actively prepping for the workout so we've been messing around with different rep schemes you know at the end of march we hit cindy to see how people do with the 5 10 15 rep scheme it seems to be um, uh, it's a it's a great strategy for a lot of people because the reps are low or at least low enough that you don't hit that failure point very quickly you can get through a big chunk of the volume before you have to slow down and it leads to pretty solid overall times uh, an, a variation on that would be the five pull-ups five push-ups 15 squats five push-ups so you're breaking up the push-ups even more and that way you're not hitting the failure point on the push-ups since that seems to be most people's biggest sticking point so that's another option uh, some people like to do the 33 rounds of 369 which has a heck of a lot of transition it's hard to count 
And some people are just kind of all over the place. And they're like, I'm going to do X number of push-ups. I'm going to do X number of this because I think my legs will be fresh by this point. And maybe you come up with your own strategy that's not a standardized rep scheme that works for you. And that's perfectly fine. But again, until you've played with various rep schemes and various workouts with a mix of gymnastics work when you're already winded from running, uh, you're not going to know. So when we say we're doing Murph prep, that has a couple of aspects to it. It's learning the pace on the runs. It's learning how many pull-ups you can do before you have to break and what kind of capacity you have. It's the same thing with the push-ups. It's learning to use the air squats when you're fatigued. Use your type 1 muscle fibers instead of cranking through them rapid fire. Can you move slowly enough that you're not going to spike your heart rate? You're going to clear out that fatigue. Because anyone that's ever done unpartitioned Murph with a weight vest can tell you when you get back on that run, after 300 air squats, your legs are dead, your back's on fire. So how do you mitigate that? How do you break things up? Do you have the strength and stamina in your lower back and your legs to be able to do that? Uh, so those are all things that we want to prepare for. And again, at the end of the day, even if you don't PR, which would be awesome, that's kind of our end goal is to see that progress from year to year. Uh, we want you to not only survive the workout, but to thrive in it and to get through it with minimal soreness and minimal interruption to your training. Uh, for those that are saying, you know, if your training is balanced, you should be able to do it. You could use that same argument when it comes to the open or quarterfinals or semifinals. Hey, if your training's balanced, you should be able to get through that no problem. Sure, you'll survive. Will you get to the next round? Probably not. Again, as soon as the task is known, you don't need to prepare for the unknown and the unknowable anymore. You know what you're doing. Prepare for that specific task. And again, this comes down to just kind of a general programming and training philosophy, which is, am I constantly training for the unknown and the unknowable? And what does that even mean? Again, to me, it means that if I throw something random at you, you'll be able to survive. That doesn't mean that our training needs to be random to get through that. Because the fact of the matter is, if the training is random, you're not going to make progress in probably anything. Instead, you need to focus. You, you can concurrently focus on multiple things, but our goal with our programming structure is to specifically focus on certain things, make progress in those areas without losing the progress that we've made in other areas. But you're never going to be simultaneously making progress in every area all at once. That's just not physically possible. Your body cannot adapt that way unless you are 100% brand new to training. For the vast majority of us that have been doing this for a while, Again, our goal is to maintain capacity in the areas that we're not focused on. So again, during Murph prep, we're heavily focused on high volume gymnastics work and running. You might not see a whole lot of improvement in your ability to row a 2K, but if I threw a 2K at you, hopefully you're not too far off your best time ever. Uh, same goes, you know, it's the same thing that we do with our strength lifts when we're building up to a one rep max front squat at the end of a cycle, if I threw an 
random lift at you, one rep max deadlift, the hope is that you're somewhere above 90% and close to 100%, even if we haven't been training that lift specifically. So at the end of the day, we expect to maintain capacity in the specific areas that we're not training. Uh, but we do focus on specific areas and we want to improve those. And ultimately, my opinion on benchmarks and hero workouts in general is that they are fitness tests for those specific areas. That's why we only do maybe one a month. If I'm constantly doing benchmarks, I would equate that to constantly taking tests in school. You're never learning. You're just testing. You don't have an opportunity to gain knowledge and learn new things. You're just constantly evaluating. And if I don't give myself time to learn things, my test scores are never going to go up. It's the same thing when it comes to training. The vast majority of what we're doing is training. It's working on those improvements. But again, we need those evaluations to see that we're actually making progress. And that's where we use benchmarks and max effort lifts. Interesting to note also the uh, current world record holder of Murph is probably about 160 pounds. And he just posted a video a couple weeks ago of himself doing back squats at 405 and 415. He was doing heavy singles on a Monday. And again, the question was, why am I doing heavy singles when the vast majority of my training at the moment is um, high volume prep for Murph? And his answer was, you know, neurologically speaking, a one rep max is pretty draining. It requires a lot of coordination of the nerves and muscles. So if he can get above 90%, 95%, close to a one rep max, that's not a true one rep max, not a test, then he knows that his nerves are not shot and that he's actually rec uh, recovering from the prep work that he's doing. And he goes on to say, you know, you could do broad jumps or any other true test of a uh, kind of a one rep max explosive effort, but he likes to use back squats. So I thought it was interesting that number one, he's 160 pounds and he can squat over 420. That's impressive. Number two, again, he's showcasing that he's maintaining this capacity of max or uh, absolute strength, even while he's doing high volume work. Um, and he's using it to show that he hasn't lost capacity and that he is actually recovering from a neurological standpoint. So that was all very well and good. In any case, uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, finish my Carlsbad here. Don't want to drag on for too long talking about programming. But at the end of the day, our goal is to help people improve long term. You need some kind of a plan to do that. We use benchmarks to test progress along the way. And we want people to thrive during Murph rather than just survive it. And we want to do it with minimal interruption to your training. So maybe once a week, maybe twice a week, you'll see things like run intervals, so you can learn how to pace. We will see different rep schemes of push-ups, pull-ups, and squats so that you can figure out how many reps you can do before you're forced to break. And uh, our biggest test is actually coming up this week on uh, Friday. We have Angie, which is 100 pull-ups, 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups, 100 squats, done unpartitioned. So again, in Murph, you get to partition. In Angie, you don't. 
and uh, it's a great test. This will be a good way to see really how many reps you can do before you're forced to break, especially when you don't have the option to partition things. So that's where we're at. We'll spend May building up to Murph and uh, then we'll tackle it on Memorial Day. And for those that are concerned, we will have Murph shirts this year. Uh, we should see those available for pre-order, hopefully by early next week, if not end of this week. In any case, I'm gonna go ahead and finish this Pilsner. Thanks for tuning in. Good to be back, and we'll catch you guys next month. Skull.